As I indicated, chapter 4, the subject of prayer begins in the second verse. This particular verse marks the commencement of the final section of the book. We have here further practical Christian teaching, a portion that we could sum up as the Christian and his conduct. Paul refers here uh, to a dedication to the truth about Christ. And he begins with an exhortation to faithfulness in one particular area, and that is supplication and prayer. What a vital subject, what a vital topic is that of prayer. There are so many things that could be said about prayer. There are many books that have been written about prayer. One of the earliest books that I ever read as a young Christian was Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. And there are various other books about prayer that are very challenging. I have a biography at home about a man called John Hyde of India. He was known as Praying Hyde. And when you read books like that, they are inspiring They are uplifting. They are very, very challenging. But the thing about the subject of prayer is we can have all the theory of the day in our heads. We can know all that there is about the subject of prayer and yet never really pray. I recall once when I was reading for a message on Elijah that... He made the point that the Bible doesn't say that the disciples asked the Lord, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now we often speak of it in that way, as if they were coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. And there is a sense in which that's true. They were wanting to know how to pray. But Pink made the point, they didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. To do it. And that's how you learn to pray, by doing it. Not by talking about it, not by reading about it, but by actually engaging in prayer. Prayer, according to one of our hymns, is the Christian's native breath. The Christian's native air. His watchword at the gates of death. He enters heaven with prayer. We just sang it tonight. Prayer to the Christian should be, and I would go further and say it is, as natural as breathing. Do you think about breathing? I don't. It's something that I just do. I'll tell you when I think about breathing. When I go under the water and realize I'm running out of air and I need to get to the surface. That's when I think about breathing. Or if I hold my nose and close my mouth and try to not breathe for a while, then I realize I need to let go and I need to breathe. That's when I think about breathing. But generally speaking, as I go through life, I don't think about breathing. It's just something that I do naturally. And so as a Christian, prayer is something that you should do and will do naturally. 
If you go back with me to the book of Matthew, to the chapter 6, you'll see how this is illustrated by the words of the Saviour. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and again in verse 6, and again in verse 7, you will note carefully that the Lord says, And when thou prayest, verse 6, but thou, when thou prayest, verse 7, but when you pray, not if. There's no if about it. It's when you pray. Because you see, he takes it as read that every true believer, every disciple prays. So Paul, writing to a church, he doesn't tell them merely that they need to pray, but you'll see that he says, continue in prayer. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us. And there are a number of important things about the subject of prayer that are on the very surface of what Paul says here. Let's think about continuing in prayer. First of all, the practice of prayer. Prayer was a topic, it was a subject often broached by the Apostle Paul in his epistles. And Colossians is no different. You go back to chapter 1 of this book. Verse 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Again, verse 9 of chapter 1. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And then chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. It can't be overstated the importance of prayer in the life of the Christian and in the life of the church. Both private prayer and public prayer. I think it's a very sad reflection on churches, especially evangelical churches, when they don't have a prayer meeting. They don't have prayer meetings. Some churches that pride themselves on their King James only stance, that they're fundamental. And by the way, I'm in favour of that. But they pride themselves on their doctrinal prowess and, and accuracy in so many areas. Do you know what their prayer meeting consists of? The pastor stands up on a Wednesday night, he preaches, and then he reads a list of prayer requests, and then he offers prayer, and they all go home. And they call that, well, they don't call it the prayer meeting, because that would be telling lies. They call it the midweek service. How do we get to that point? You look at the book of Acts. It's replete with examples of prayer meetings, right from chapter 1. Just look through the opening chapters and note how many times people got together to pray. 
And those examples that are given to us are for our learning. The importance of prayer, public prayer, cannot be overstated. But the the importance of private prayer cannot be overstated. And I'm afraid that prayerlessness may well be the greatest sin of the 21st century church. Prayerlessness. And yet prayer, as I've already indicated, should be as natural as breathing to the human body. We must pray. Continue in prayer. But as well as the practice of prayer, we must think about the persistence of true prayer. And that's really found, isn't it, in the word continue. Continue in prayer. There has to be a going on in the ministry of prayer. It's an ongoing activity. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke a parable in Luke chapter 18. And verse 1 gives us the reason for that parable. He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And I love how one commentator put that. He said that men ought always to pray and not to cave in. It's so easy to cave in. It's so easy to give up. And yet we're told, are we not, by the same Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18, the same Apostle wrote, to the Lord's people there in that church about the importance of prayer. Ephesians 6 verse 18 Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me. You know the soul flourishes in an atmosphere of prayer. And when Paul writes to the Colossian church, continue in prayer, the thought that he has in mind is of a constant habit of communing with God. It literally means continue in prayer. Cling closely to or remain constant to prayer. Cling closely to prayer. Remain constant in or to prayer. Prayer. What does that look like? Well, it means living in an attitude of prayer. It doesn't mean that continuously from 12 midnight to 12 midnight the next night that you're praying one big long prayer. That's not what it means. It is living in an attitude of prayer so that at any moment you're ready to pray. Keeping up the habit of staying in touch with God. Give the illustration, if you're walking along the road with a friend, you're not jabbering all the time, and they're jabbering all the time. Sometimes they'll say something, you'll answer them. Sometimes there'll be a silence. Nothing will be said for a few seconds, and then somebody thinks of something else to say, and they talk, and then the other person responds, and it's a, a communication. That's prayer. 
That's prayer. Speaking with the Lord. Letting the Lord speak to you. Just constantly cultivating an attitude of communion with God because you're living in His presence. Continue in prayer means keep on looking to the Lord. Maintaining this holy habit of prayer. I read a moment ago 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It's remarkable to note that that phrase there, without ceasing, is translated from a Greek word that's used of a person with an incessant cough. You know how somebody that has this, just a tickly cough in the back of the, and this, <coughs> and just constantly they have this incessant cough. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have it sometimes. One day there recently I was with the family and we're in a restaurant and a crumb went down the wrong way. Did that ever happen to you? Just a crumb goes down the wrong way. Could I get that thing dislodged? I coughed and hacked and coughed and the tears coming out of my eyes. I could not get it fixed. It was an incessant cough. That's the word here. Pray without ceasing. It's use of a person with an incessant cough. It's not one big drawn out cough. It is coughing at regular intervals. That's prayer. So we pray frequently. And that's something that you need to cultivate and I need to cultivate being in a constant readiness to pray. Always shooting up prayers to the Lord. What some are pleased to call ejaculatory prayers. Just little arrows that you send to heaven all day long. In the book of Acts chapter 1, where the people of God met in the upper room, The Bible tells us in verse 14 of that chapter that these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They all continued. They kept on. They persisted. They didn't stop. They didn't give up. They kept praying. And this is what the Apostle Paul is driving at here. The persistence of true prayer. He says to the church there, continue in prayer. Don't give up. Pray on with perseverance until the answer comes. And then he adds to that, watch in the same. That's vigilance. That's to be in a state of alertness. The word watch really signifies to give strict attention to. So that would suggest that your mind is on the matter when you're praying, that you really mean business in your praying. You want this from the Lord. And you're watching over the prayer times jealously. Sometimes we don't like to be offensive to people when they overstay their welcome, perhaps. But there was a minister I heard of, and when people used to come to the home, When it came to a certain time at night, he would say, Well, folks, you'll probably need to be leaving soon because I have an appointment. And they wondered, why would he have an appointment at 9.30 at night? Well, he was talking about his prayer time. 
regular as clockwork. He wasn't letting anything interfere with that. Giving strict attention to prayer. The writer Griffith Thomas said this. When it says here, watch in the same, he says, we are not to watch ourselves, which would be depressing. We are not to watch Satan, which would be distracting. We are not to watch our sins, which would be disheartening. But we are to keep our gaze fixed on Christ. Way back in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, the Bible says in chapter 4 and verse 9 of that book, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. See, this is watching and praying. This is being alert. People have often said, well, like the hymn says, the devil trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Maybe he does, but in my experience he gets down beside you. And he tries to deflect you and distract you from praying. Tries to bring all kinds of things to your mind and heart to stop you from praying. That's what the devil does. And this is why the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant. That is to be on the watch out. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The devil resists prayer. The writer Guy King said, watch before you pray. Don't rush into the king's presence irreverently. And don't let Satan spoil your spirit before you draw near to the Lord. So watch before you pray. And then he said, watch while you pray. Lest wandering thoughts disturb and distract. The devil wants to do that as well. You start praying about something and your mind wanders to a whole lot of other things. He says, watch before you pray. Watch while you pray. And then he says, watch after you pray, looking out for the answers. There's not a whole lot of point in praying to the Lord about things if we don't expect Him to answer. Watch and pray. This is the persistence of true prayer. Continue in prayer. The practice, the persistence. And then Paul adds to this, the praise in true prayer. And watch in the same with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. This has been called the crowning element in our praying. Once again, let's just note that in chapter 1 verse 3, Paul mentions that we give thanks. We give thanks, praying always for you. Is that what we do? Or chapter 3, verse 15, And be ye thankful. And verse 17, Giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Are we thankful? Do we actually thank the Lord for things? Philippians 4, verse 6, In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The story is told of two girls who were gathering grapes. One was happy 
and the other was sad. And there were two ladies in the garden. Notice a bush there. One was unhappy because the bush had thorns. The other was, one was unhappy because it had thorns. The other was happy because it had roses. Looking at the same thing in two different ways. Unhappy with the bush because there's thorns on it. Very happy with the bush because there's beautiful roses on it. We need to positively develop and cultivate the habit of thanksgiving to God in all things. Be happy because of the roses and not unhappy because of the thorns. We should be more thankful, shouldn't we? One thing's a real bugbear of mine, and especially my wife, is when children don't say thank you for gifts that they're given. Actually, a lot of adults are as bad. I knew some people who were on the mission field for many years who lived in Ulster. The Mun sisters that spent a lot of years in Africa. They used to say if they got just a couple of coins from somebody for a mission, they would sit down and write a letter of thanks. When we don't hear thank you from people that we give gifts to or, or, or extend some kindness to, we consider it bad manners, don't we? It's bad manners. Say thank you. It's not hard. It's not difficult. Thank you. Do we say thank you to the Lord? Every Sunday night in life, as I said the other week, we used to sing in the Martyrs Memorial, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and so free. Thankfulness. A legend was told of two angels that were sent to earth, each with a separate mission. The first angel was to gather up all the petitions of men and women. The other angel was sent to collect up their thanksgivings. The first angel found petitions everywhere and returned to heaven with a load of them on his back and other, ba- on other bundles in each hand. The second angel had a difficult time. He searched diligently and when he returned to heaven, he had but a handful of thanksgivings with him. Are we all petitions and no thanksgivings? Good question. It's a good thing in prayer to give thanks. And not only that, but to give thanks in faith for blessings that are yet to be received. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings that thou art going to give us. You ever pray like that? Because the Lord will give yet greater blessings in answer to prayer. And we need to thank him in advance. But there's precision also, precision in true prayer. Because the Apostle includes himself in this. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us. Don't forget about me. Don't forget about the servants of the Lord. Prayer is needed for us. For the servants of the Lord. Look back at chapter 1, verse 1. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. That's who he's referring to when he says, pray for us, including Timothy and himself. We need prayer, he says. Then chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. The Lord's people were prayed for by him. And they should in turn be praying for him. You know, it's a a great thing when a servant of God feels the need of the prayers of God's people. It's arrogance for any man to think he doesn't need to be prayed for. And it's foolishness on behalf of God's people if they think the servant of God doesn't need to be prayed for. You know, people have this weird notion, I think, sometimes, well, he's a minister or he's a missionary and he lives close to the Lord and he's in God's presence and he prays. He doesn't need prayer. We need prayer, but he doesn't need prayer. How wrong you would be if you thought that. You see how Paul oftentimes expressed this, the need for prayer. For example, in Romans 15, verse 30. He talked about those striving together with him in their prayers to God for him. The word there is agonizomai, which is the word from from which we get agonize. Agonizing in prayer for Paul. Again, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, he gives them this final word. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. You need to pray for us. We're in the front line and we need the Lord's help. And many times the apostle asked for specific prayer for himself in the ministry. Do we, need, do we not need to pray for the ministry today? There was a preacher, it may well have been Robert McShane, who likened the prayers of the people of God to holding the ropes while he went down over the edge to rescue souls. Great analogy that. C.H. Spurgeon was himself a great man of prayer. And as we talk about living in the atmosphere of prayer, it's, it's very interesting to note that Spurgeon used to say he rarely prayed for more than 15 minutes at a time but quickly added that he rarely went 15 minutes without praying. And Spurgeon encouraged prayer in his people. He was once asked what was the secret of his success in the ministry. Mr. Spurgeon, what is your secret in preaching? And Spurgeon simply said, my people pray for me. That's it. There was a visitor once to the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London and Spurgeon ushered him into the lower auditorium of the church. And he said to that person, Here is our powerhouse. While I'm preaching upstairs, hundreds of people are down here praying. Yes, prayer is the secret weapon in God's work. Praying with all praying also for us. But of course then there's the purpose in true prayer. Why do we have to be continuing in prayer? 
Well, the aim and the objective of prayers that were offered for Paul and the others is made clear in verse 3 and verse 4. With all praying also for us, what? That God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now there's something that comes immediately to my mind as I read this. It is true that in Acts chapter 12, God's people met to pray for the deliverance of Peter from prison. That's what they prayed for, that the Lord would get him out of prison and God answered that prayer. But you will notice here that Paul doesn't ask God's people to pray that he'll get out of prison at this point. He doesn't say, with all praying also for us, that God would open the doors of the prison. He said that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. He was chained to Roman soldiers. Don't you think Paul was witnessing to those men? That he was chained to. Why do you think he was able to say that there were those chiefly in Caesar's household who had been converted? Paul had the opportunity to speak for the Lord even when he was enduring persecution and opposition. He said, verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. I want opportunities to speak for the Lord, even here in prison. Even while I'm incarcerated, I want to be used of the Lord. I want you to pray about that. The apostle here talked about opposition to his preaching. The idea that you'll be a preacher and never have any opposition is nonsense. You'll always be healed, fellow, well met. Everybody will think you're great. Everybody will think you're wonderful. No, that will not happen. Not if you're faithful, it won't. You'll be opposed. Opposed by the world. And right here there was opposition to Paul's preaching. He mentions that in bonds. In bonds. In other words, he was in prison. He was incarcerated because of his faithful declaration of truth. I wonder how many men would continue to preach the gospel if they knew it would mean they'd go to prison. And many would leave the ministry rather than do that. Satan is against the ministry. He's against the preaching of the word. Paul felt that opposition. He wanted God's people to pray about that. But yet here there were opportunities for his preaching. Opposition to his preaching, yes, but opportunities for his preaching. To speak the mystery of Christ. That God would open to us a door of utterance. A wide open door. Opportunity. To speak about Jesus. That I may make the gospel manifest as I ought to speak. This was Paul's desire. That he might have opportunities for his preaching, even if it meant opposition. And so as the Lord's people prayed, doors of service would open to him, even in prison. And folks, God does open doors. If you're willing to be used of the Lord to speak for him, he'll open up doors for you to speak for him. Don't worry about that. 
The Lord will make a way for you to be able to talk about Him to others. We recall what it says in Revelation 3, verse 7 and 8. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. He that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. The Lord sets open doors before his people. Paul referred to this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9. Remember that when he talked about a great door? A great door and effectual is opened unto me. But there are many adversaries. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me. And there are many adversaries. There's opposition. There are people who don't like it. But even adverse circumstances can present glorious opportunities for Christian service. Many times would a person who's a believer think about the fact that they were in hospital. They didn't want to be in hospital. They didn't particularly want to be suffering some ailment. But by being in hospital and an opportunity to speak to somebody about Christ, an opportunity to wit to witness to somebody, maybe a doctor or a nurse, and win them to Christ. A good brother, Chris Killen, who ministers among drug addicts in Northern Ireland. You know how he got saved? When he had once OD'd on drugs, he was in the hospital, and a Christian surgeon visited his room and witnessed to him. A Christian doctor talked to him about Christ. And God saved this precious soul. See, even adverse circumstances can present glorious opportunities for Christian service. That was really the subject that Paul dealt with in Philippians chapter 1. You will recall, perhaps. Remember, he talked about the things that happened unto me have fallen out unto the furtherance of the gospel. Things that in themselves were viewed as bad things that would be looked upon as negatives. Terrible things that happened to me. But he says, I would you should understand, brethren, Philippians 1 verse 12, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And he fleshes that out, talking about how his bonds in Christ were manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And his example actually was an inspiration to others to preach Christ. You think of the prison epistles of Paul. How God ministered to the hearts of his people and still does today through those prison epistles. One of the greatest books ever written outside of the Bible is Pilgrim's Progress. You know where it was written? In prison. When John Bunyan was incarcerated for 16 years, I believe it was. Think about what happened when Paul was in prison in Rome and he was visited by that slave, that runaway Onesimus. Onesimus was saved because Paul was in prison. So many examples like this that could be given. Philippians 4 verse 22 All the saints salute you chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. 
people in Caesar's household who normally would have no opportunity to hear of Christ heard of Christ from a man who was imprisoned by the Romans opposition to his preaching opportunities for his preaching this is why they were to continue in prayer but also you'll notice the objective of his preaching that he might speak forth the mystery in other words to make Christ and the gospel manifest and that friends is what we should be living for to make Christ known that's what Paul lived for that's what his great purpose in ministry was that I might make the Lord known he puts it this way to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak in other words make it clear make the message plain we ought to be living to make Christ known and in order to do that we need to be praying for doors to be opened not to make a church known not to make a denomination known not to make a preacher's name known but to present Christ unto men that they might fall in love with the Saviour and in the final place I want you to note the obligation of Paul's preaching under this point the obligation of it he felt that didn't he verse 4 that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak this is my duty this is something that I need to do this is something God has called me to do I can't do anything else he said the same thing in Ephesians 6 from verse 19 verses that used to be always attached to Dr. Paisley's signature when he signed anybody's Bible Ephesians 6 verses 19 and 20 and for me I want you to remember to pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly notice this as I ought to speak it's my duty it's my obligation it was Paul's duty he felt that obligation ever since he got saved remember what he said to the Romans I am debtor I am debtor I feel myself to be in debt to souls I'm debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians I'm a debtor both to the wise and to the unwise so as much as in me is I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also I want to pay my debt the Lord has done so much for me it's my duty to serve him to win souls to him it was his duty but I want to tell you it was his desire it wasn't just his duty it was his desire he wanted to do it that's why I asked for prayer he really desired God to open up opportunities for him to present the Savior you folks in Colossae pray for me even as I'm here in prison that the Lord will give me opportunities to be a witness for Christ to win people to the Lord because that's what I'm called to do 
Paul wanted to speak for Jesus. Do you want to speak for Jesus? It's a little chorus that says, speak just a word for Jesus. Ever to him be true. Do we ever actually say to people, I'm saved. What about you? We ought to. I was telling my daughter the other day that my father was one of the best personal workers I ever came across in my life. He had such boldness. He wasn't afraid of anything or anybody. It just I used to marvel at it. Because I'd be afraid to say things to people. Especially the things he used to say to them. But he had a disarming quality about him. He just When he would say things to people, he usually did so with tears in his eyes. And they knew that he meant it. And I would go into the town, into the city of Belfast with him as a boy and would be walking along and... My, and invariably my dad would meet someone either from the boxing fraternity when he had been a professional boxer or from the baking fraternity because he was a baker always met somebody that he knew or several somebodies he maybe hadn't seen a man for a long time and he would talk away small talk and before he left I, I used to see him put his arm around the man say his name was John he said John any word if you're getting ready for heaven. Any word if you're getting ready for heaven. And of course, the man didn't know what to say. Totally disarmed. Only the Lord knows how many might be in glory as a result of that kind of testimony. May the Lord make us like that. Give us boldness to speak for Him. We often sing it and we say it. Only one life it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, we give ourselves over so often to so much trivia. Things that don't matter. A hill of beans or a row of pins. And we think that things are so important and in the great scheme of things, they're not important at all. And I've been learning that in recent times, let me tell you. There are things that seem to be a big deal and they're actually of no consequence when it comes down to circumstances such as we're in. We're only here for a short time. The Lord gives us opportunities to impact our day and generation, to leave behind us a legacy. And I pray that he will help us to do so even as the Apostle did. May God help us for his name's sake. Amen.